a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. President Joe Biden made headlines over the weekend saying that Facebook is killing people. Uh, He walked that back in yesterday's press conference, uh, but he called on the social platform to do more to stop uh, what he called COVID-19 misinformation. Here's the way he framed it in the press conference yesterday. My hope is that Facebook, instead of taking it personally, that somehow I'm saying Facebook is killing people, that they would do something about the misinformation, the outrageous misinformation about the, the vaccine. That's what I meant. Done enough, in your opinion, to stop I haven't. Be, be, to be completely honest with you, I don't know they did anything today up to over the weekend. I don't think they had. So uh, interesting framing from President Biden. And it it leads to the question that I, I want to get to in this segment today. And that is, can the president require tech companies to censor speech? Of course, a lot of this uh, gets into something uh, around what we refer to as uh, the uh, Section 230. Uh, and so to break this down a little bit to see what does this really mean, what can the president do, what can't the president do, and how does it impact all of us, uh, very pleased to be joined once again uh, by Professor Ronell Anderson-Jones from the University of Utah Law School, uh, who always helps us make sense of a lot of these things. Uh, Professor, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Boyd. Nice to be here. Wonderful. So let's uh, let's break this down a little bit. Uh, of course, there was a lot of wild reaction uh, from from the extremes of both the right and the left uh, following the president's comments over the weekend. Uh, but help us break this down just a little bit. What is it that the president is saying and what can a president actually do as it relates to some of these platforms and big tech companies? Yeah, there has been a lot of conversation about the interrelationship between the First Amendment and social media platforms these days. Uh, Last week, with President Trump's suit against Facebook for banning him, uh, these latest comments from the White House, lots of questions about what the First Amendment requires platforms to do and what it protects them from having. The doctrine as it currently exists suggests that Facebook can ban whomever it wants from its platform without running afoul of the First Amendment. And for the same reason, the flip side of that, President Biden can't use the official levers of government authority to order Facebook regarding who or what to ban. One key question that the law would ask here, though, is whether the government is doing that direct ordering. So in past cases, the courts have said it isn't a First Amendment violation for government officials simply to try to persuade private parties not to participate in distributing certain kinds of speech, unless that persuasion becomes something more, like governmental coercion or, or overt regulation or punishment. That's the question here. Okay. So, uh, so it really does get to uh, per- persuasion is okay, uh, but if they're targeting or threatening or uh, using other means uh, to coerce behavior, that's where they would run afoul of the First Amendment. 
That's right. Constitutionally, there's a difference between a set of orders that must be followed by a company and um, something else, a a government statement that a government official or a politician um, wants to draw attention to or push a company to consider more aggressively combating here um, uh, what the politician thinks is dangerous falsehood spreading on its platform. Uh, The line between those two is really the question that the two sides are fighting over here. Yeah, uh, fascinating. Uh, So, one of the th- one of the questions I wanted to get uh, to you today, Professor, is the uh, the intelligence community, of course, is, is trained to combat uh, everything from disinformation, misinformation. Um, but when President Biden called for Facebook to crack down on the misinformation, uh, is the misinformation component is that illegal? What does that mean? Uh, and then how does that get applied? Right. Uh, So folks who, uh, scholars and commentators who work in this field, sometimes divide those two terms to describe uh, the purpose behind them. So misinformation is information that's false. And disinformation uh, is used to describe sort of targeted falsehood, purposeful propaganda that's designed to be harmful to folks, often by um, outside agents or agents with uh, an agenda. Uh, And the Biden administration seems to be um, concerned about both things, I I think, in the COVID space. Um, uh, and seems to be taking the position that when Facebook is uh, – it seems clear that Facebook has the right to profit off of either of those things, <laughs> uh, um, misinformation or disinformation about COVID. Uh, the Biden administration's position seems to be a, a sort of big push uh, with both the Surgeon General and uh, the press secretary and others to suggest that it's the wrong moral thing, right, that uh, you know, sort of Facebook is being a bad citizen. Um, the First Amendment protects it from – coercion, but not from criticism, right, uh, by people or by other companies or by the government or politicians. And uh, the argument here is uh, that either disinformation, sort of targeted, purposeful, uh, harmful information, or just misinformation, uh, sort of common anti-scientific material that uh, the administration has determined is putting lives at risk. They can continue to profit off of it, um, but uh, the administration would prefer that they, that they choose not to and wants to exert that public pressure to do so. And it, plainly, they've ramped up a desire to sort of publicly point that out and make an effort uh, to, to uh, push Facebook to, to act in different ways. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki in her uh, briefing uh, with the press, uh, was very clear, very adamant that uh, the battle was not with Facebook. The battle was with the virus uh, problems that we're seeing. Mentioned the Surgeon General, as as you uh, pointed out, uh, and that, that that is the the real challenge. One of the interesting things uh, I think uh, that I'd also love you to weigh in on is is if the White House, the White House has said that they're flagging posts for Facebook um, and sending that. Uh, what does that do to that dynamic? Does that where does that put Facebook if they're uh, reacting to a list of things that the White House is sending them? Uh, it seems to me that that could get pretty messy pretty fast. Yeah, that seems to be the verb that's raising a lot of concern, right? What do you mean by flagging? Um, and what um, what choice does Facebook have on the other end of that flagging? Uh, uh, letters that have been written to inquire about this by some um, key Republicans in the Senate, uh, Senator Howley, um, Senator Blackburn, are asking uh, that exact question, right? Asking whether the White House is 
um, directing that content be removed, for example. The White House has taken the position um, that it's, what it's engaging in is encouragement, right? That it's encouraging Facebook uh, and Twitter, uh, other social media platforms, uh, to um, redesign some algorithms, to increase the staff that they have monitoring potentially false content, to, um, importantly, I think, to share information about what users are accessing with researchers who can sort of get to the bottom of uh, the scope and contours of the problem, um, uh, flagging problematic posts that the government or government leaders um, think are problematic through their own research, right? Uh, yeah. If they're saying, uh, we as a, as a public health authority have learned in addressing the ongoing risks in the pandemic that this is problematic and we want to bring it to your attention, is a different matter than flagging in some other sense, in a sense that says, um, we want to bring this to your attention because uh, governmental consequences will come your way if you don't um, take action that we've pressured you to take. That's uh, that's the distinction that the First Amendment is going to draw. Yeah. Uh, great analysis, as always. Renell Anderson-Jones from the University of Utah Law School. Always appreciate your insight. Help us. Uh, thanks for helping us break that down today. Very complicated, and uh, I'm sure we'll be discussing this again uh, in the not-too-distant future. Nice to talk with you, Boyd. All right. Again, that's uh, Professor Renell Anderson-Jones from the University of Utah. Love her insight. Love the way she's able to break down these things. It can be really complicated. They get my head spinning. I don't know about yours uh, in terms of what is constitutional, what is protected under the First Amendment, what can a White House do, uh, again, in the midst of a pandemic or other crisis, what can be done. Uh, these are all important conversations for us uh, to really think through and break down. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to continue down this path just a little bit. We're going to talk about this Section 230 that we've referenced many times. Uh, what does it really mean? Does it protect platforms like Facebook and Twitter? Uh, Canyon Brimhall from R Street Institute is going to join us coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.